Hey everyone, welcome to the Self Agency Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda, and this is a space where we explore, discover, and share tools, techniques, and wisdom to help you build and maintain a sense of agency. Um, attachment theories? Yeah. Why is it, why is it that you want to talk about attachment theory? What is, is it because you're going through this uh, schooling and this is something that's come up, or is this something that you had delved into previous to that? Yeah, it's been on my radar for a while, but then I heard about it in a different way recently. And it in a different way. He, so when we think of attachment theory, typically what we think of is the attachment bonds that we form as an infant. So if you had a caregiver that was really attentive, met your needs, all of that, you form a secure attachment. If you had somebody who was really avoidant, neglected, typically you'll, avoid, you'll form an anxious attachment because you're trying to pull attention. Mm-hmm. Who is really anxious and very overprotective and overbearing, you might actually form an avoidant one because you're like, whoa. Right, right, right. But, and that's like, that is the most simplistic way of explaining it. There is so much more to it. Yeah. That you would form different attachment. Like that is by no means the be all end all. There's different reasons you would form different attachments. Right. We we look at them and think of them as something we form as an infant with our primary caregiver. Yeah. That's kind of how I had always thought about it. And when I thought about it, because then it shows up in your relationships. As an anxious person, or you show up as an avoidant person, or you might have a secure attachment, which is the majority Mm -hmm. of our population, thank goodness. But what we see is so many different things actually have an impact on your attachment style later in life, and it's actually very fluid, it's very changeable. Mm -hmm. When I think of my attachment in intimate relationships in high school, I was a very different person than how I show up in later relationships. This might be due to trauma, it might be due to personal experiences or the difficulties that happened in that relationship and that other person's attachment style might have actually impacted mine. Mm -hmm. They're very prevalent and they're very eye-opening once I dug into it in terms of how we show up into our later in life relationships. And I was having many an issue with my partner that I wanted to. Your partner? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he was just like, he was just there and he was like, okay, I guess we're going through something. And I was like, oh, are we ever? <laughs> You're damn right. Yep. Up, bitch. Sit down. <laughs> and I was putting all of my stuff onto him in so many different ways, but in very unaware, like aware, but also unaware. Like I was aware that there was an issue, but not wanting to take full responsibility. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, but it's still partly him. And I was just having this day where I was questioning everything. I was like, I don't even know what is life. Do I just move back to Canada? Like everything was just up in the air. And I had seen a girlfriend in the morning and she was like, oh, I'm reading this book that I'm really enjoying. And she's in, she's doing online dating right now after 
being out of a relationship for a really long time. So she's getting back into the game, as some might say. And she was looking into her attachment styles. And I was like, didn't really clue in that it would have that much impact. She's like, well, just read it. Just have a little skim through. And I told her about all of my reservations with my partner and everything I was going through. And after that meeting with her, he and I had gone for this big bike ride and had a great time. And then something just triggered me to no other. And I lost my damn mind. I was so annoyed. I was furious. I was just like going a mile a minute and all of my past stuff started coming up. And I was like, okay, something's up. And I was like, I just want to go home. I don't even want to have this conversation right now. Like I'm not getting into all the nitty gritty details of it, but I was like, let's just, I need to go home. So we get home and I was like, I need some space. I'm going to stay in the room. You go live your life. And he was like, yep. Bye. See ya. (laughs) Fair. Hmm. So I sit down and look over and this book is sitting there. So I was like, well, now is a good as time as any to dive into this. And literally I start reading this book and you know, those books that you read that just each word on the page, they're like speaking to your soul. Mm -hmm. Mother F. Yep. Here we go. So I was literally just read like a book and all of my attachment styles and the activations and deactivations that we go through were outlined in this book. But the most interesting part was that I had tried to really make him out to be the insecure attachment. Like I was like, oh, he's definitely an avoidant. And I was projecting my stuff onto him. As I'm reading this book, I go through the part that says how to figure out what your partner is. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't you know, of course, he's a secure attachment. He's just chilling. He's strong. He's steady. He's secure. And I'm like, God damn it. I've just been putting all of my stuff onto him. So in that moment of realizing my own attachment styles, which is one of the rare ones, anxious avoidant, of course, and then figuring out his attachment style, which is secure. In that moment, everything started to make sense in ways that it hadn't before, because I could finally have this different type of awareness around our relationship and look at all of the ways that I would act out my own attachment style, whether it be activating or deactivating, and all the ways that he just wasn't playing into it because he's a secure attachment. So he doesn't, it's not that kind of butting heads where it's give and take, like he just stands steady and strong. And I do all that (laughs) kind of beating my head against a brick wall with my attachment styles. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things where it was the most I would say to date, one of the most profound revelations in a relationship that I've had. Mm-hmm. And since that moment, it's been a couple weeks now, our entire relationship has changed. Like our entire relationship has shifted. Simply by recognizing your attachment style and then by recognizing it, understanding it and moving through it or? Yeah, by recognizing it and giving it that awareness because in recognizing it, I can now say, oh, my avoidant is showing. Like, she's, she's here. 
and I can approach it differently and I can catch myself before I act out in a certain way or I can catch myself before I say something that I would typically say from my anxious place. So it's basically this deeper dive for me in my journey and this deeper look at how I show up in a relationship, bringing more consciousness and more awareness to who I am as a partner. Mm -hmm. So it's, it is in that realization so that you can make change. Mm -hmm. Now that I've realized it, I can't go back. That's the nature of the game. As soon as you realize something and acknowledge it, it can never be the same because it's in there. It's shifted in the neural circuitry. Everything's going to be different going forward. Well, yeah, to some respect, but also it's like, uh, there's this quote that my girlfriend uses all the time and it's fuck, I'm going to brutalize it, but it's essentially like uh, awareness means nothing without the presence of action. So yeah, you can be aware of something, but it's like, what are the actions that you had to take so that the awareness was actually of any value? Because a lot of people are aware of who they are, how they navigate through the world, how they show up in relationships. Okay, well, take me to school. Why is it not, why is it not true, in your opinion? In, from what I see and from what I experience, when people do become aware of a certain trait, there's no, and if it's a trait that they don't want or they, that they want to change, there's now a discongruency. There's something that isn't aligned anymore. So if I think for myself, if I become aware of X, Y, Z, and I don't necessarily want to take action yet, I still can't keep acting in the same way because it'll make me uncomfortable because next time that awareness is t turned on. So the mm -hmm. brain will see it and recognize it and be like, this is the thing that you didn't want to do anymore. And you might still act on it, but over time that will change because it'll get more and more uncomfortable, more and more challenging to stay the same. It's, mm -hmm. why, we grow, it's why we evolve. So you might not take action right away, but that disalignment, it's like when you realize you hate your job, when you actually have that full body experience and you're like, oh, it's the job. Like, I actually just can't do this. It's sucking my soul. You might say, okay, well, I have to pay the bill, so I have to stay. But at some point, you're going to hit that breaking point where you're like, well, see, this is like, that is, I, yeah, I'd like to say this. I really would love to say this. And maybe this is a different podcast in its own right. But there are so many people that will recognize something and literally just keep fucking going until it's like, it's until it's done until it like retired. And they were like, well, shit, I didn't want to do this for the last 60 years. So yeah, they're aware, but there was still the, like the, the action was, was absent. So it's but like was choice and staying. They took action and said, yeah, okay, okay. I'm unhappy and I'm going to keep doing it. That's action. Mm. It has to be in the positive. Action can still be in the negative. Right. You're still going to notice that you're uncomfortable. But for me, it was that moment of like, so the action that I had to put into place was realizing it and saying like, oh shit, I have been a brat to say the least. I could then put like a little flashlight on all of the parts that I had been acting out and playing out for the last little bit and have that moment of 
realization to actualization and say, okay, these are the things that I need to shift. So now it's not to say that it's perfect. Like even just the other day I was in a mood and I could see these things coming up, but I didn't act out the way that I typically would. I had the awareness to say, "Mm, I need space in this moment. Like I actually need to go Mm -hmm. or I need to go do something different. Mm -hmm. That's the action is that moment of realization and choosing. I could either play this out, say something really offside, or I can go sit by myself and take a breather and put myself in a timeout. Right. What I choose to do. I mean, so that's excellent. But for like anybody that's, you know, listening to this, like what is what is the takeaway here? Is it to try to find out what your attachment theory is or like which um, attachment theory that you play out and then recognizing it and then changing it or like what is what do you come with yeah I would say it's that piece of reflection like figure out take stock of relationships so look at who you are in this relationship and notice okay do I show up from the anxious side of things where I'm always worried when my partner doesn't return my phone calls or doesn't answer my calls. It makes me think worst case scenario. And you have that kind of anxious pull and you're always trying to pull in attention because you're anxious thinking that they'll just leave you or that they can do better. And then because of that anxiety around something, that makes us act in a certain way. So we do things that we wouldn't typically do if we felt secure But when we have that anxious attachment style, we play things out in a very different way. Mm -hmm. Whereas then there's the avoidant side where it's won't commit to plans, keeps everything kind of at an arm's length, doesn't get too involved or engaged. And everything they do is to keep their independence. So you see how that kind of, it's called like the anxious avoidant trap. Anxious people and avoidant people can quite often come into relationship. And you can see how an anxious person is trying to pull energy. Avoidant people are trying to run the other direction. So they play this little dance and then they come back around and they might smooth things over for a time being, but then all of those things will start to play out again. And Mm -hmm. then people that come together to avoidance typically won't stay together that long because they'll avoid and be like, nah, I'm done. I'm still keeping my independence and they'll go their separate ways. What we're trying to do is recognize these styles, anxious, avoidant, anxious, and then separately avoidant. And we're trying to move towards secure. So what is it that you can recognize about how you show up in a relationship, how your patterns play out, your habits play out, the thoughts that play out in your head, And what steps can you take to move towards more security? How can you feel secure in your own self in order to feel secure in your relationship? Because if we're all constantly playing out these pain patterns, or maybe they come from trauma and we play out our trauma dynamics, that goes to a place of hurt relationships because each person is playing out those dynamics continuously. That's what the relationship is. It's always a reflection and a mirror of what we have going on. 
and then it triggers or activates different parts of ourselves and we play it out in that way. So if we get clear on what it looks like for us and my own attachment style, mm-hmm. I know how I'm going to relate to somebody who is avoidant or somebody who is anxious and I'm going to show up more secure when I'm in a secure relationship with a secure counterpart. Mm. So how did it show up for you, you know, the first time? And not really with respect to this relationship, but have you always been anxious avoidant? Because it's something that you prefaced earlier is that it's something that's kind of morphing. I'm sure you've shown up as the secure one. You've shown up as just the avoidant one, the anxious one. How did you recognize, how did it all start for you? What did you start out as, do you think? Like, and maybe this is like a really personal question where we're kind of sharing with the audience, like, how you got to this place of a caregiver either being avoidant or anxious or whatever, but how did we get here? Yeah, mine definitely started as anxious. Like I see it in all of the ways that I acted growing up. I was always very, I had a million questions. I always had to know what was going on, why it was happening. And I had very attentive caregivers. They were very, I had a very secure family base. And I think a lot of it came from my own predisposition. And I think there was a lot of stress and trauma during my conception, birth, all of that. There was a lot of anxiety in and of that. And I think a lot of that was imprinted and passed down. Mm. So then to have a secure attachment I still had my anxious tendencies. I still had that side of me. Mm -hmm. And there's different things that happen along the way that it was safer for me to be avoidant. So when I think of an abusive relationship that I was in in high school, it started as anxious. I had that anxious attachment to that person And then when I started figuring out, okay, this is really unhealthy. This is actually really unsafe. I need to get the fuck out. My attachment style shifted and I went to avoidant because I was preparing myself and prepping myself for the disentanglement from that relationship. So then avoidance sprouted from not only that, but past experiences as well. So then after that, I kind of saw a dance. If I was with somebody who was avoidant, my anxious tendencies would come out. If I was with somebody who was anxious, all of my avoidant tendencies would come out. And it wasn't until I started to do a lot of my own self-work and take space for me to develop more security. So there have been times in relationships where I have been the secure one And in that, I can still see moments where each side of it starts to come in. And when I look at the evolution into now, it's still very similar. When I feel the other person is avoidant, my anxious comes up. When I feel they're anxious, my avoidant comes up. When I feel secure in myself and I feel secure in the relationship, that's when that secure attachment can actually take place and I can look at it for, look at it for what it is and let it be. So it is this kind of evolution and this change. And some people 
won't have both styles. They'll very much have one or the other. So they'll very much have majority anxious attachment style and they can see that mapped back through all of their past relationships. If you look at the attached, so the book is called Attached and they even have like this inventory that you do of your relationships. They have these kind of questionnaires that you can go through and figure out your style. I am almost positive you can find it online somewhere. But it's, it's one of probably the most illuminating self-reflection pieces that I've done because it really made me take stock of how I show up in relationship. Because a lot of self-reflection is like, who are you as a human being? But we have to think about who we are in community because we are social creatures. We are wired to seek out connection for our survival and our reproduction. So when we think of it in that way, I really had to get clear on why I show up the way I do in certain relationships. Because it's not only changed my intimate relationships, it's changed how I show up in my friendships as well. How has it changed that? Because I'm more aware of how anxious, anxious style attachments will come and show up as a friendship. And I can see my avoidant come in. Because like I used to think I was just very cutthroat and that I was like, no, I'm keeping my boundaries and I'm keeping my circle safe and secure. And I want people in my life who make me feel that safe, secure, supported, valued, all of that. But really what it came down to was if I had a friend who was what I would call too needy or too clingy, my avoidant would come out. Same thing. Or if I had friends who were more avoidant, I'd just be like, yep, see ya, bye, done. Rather than meet people where they're at as well. Rather than seeing people as this complex being who's also playing out their own pain or their own trauma in different ways and being able to say, okay, I can see why you're trying to demand so much of my attention right now. I can see that this is playing out. How am I going to choose to show up in this? Mm a lot more I guess permission to have non-attachment to connections and let people show up as their full self and let them be who they are in that moment and hold that space for what they're coming to the table with because I think what we expect is that everyone around us is secure everyone around us is confident they've got it all figured out they're doing everything it's us that has the work that needs to be done. When we can see it for everyone is working through something on some gradient, they're doing some type of self-work, they have some type of something that needs to be worked through, then we can come back to a space of, right, this person is just doing the best they can with what they've got, they're showing up as best as they know how, how can I meet them where they're at as well as where I'm at? Mm. So it's like a compassion level upper. Mm-hmm. Oh, it most certainly is. And I think like really kind of there's no better time than now than to experience any sort of exercise which is going to exhibit compassion because I think that has kind of gone along the wayside. I mean, like when we look from a political and social standpoint, there's absolutely no compassion. It's like, how dare you? I can't believe you would do that. And that's the end of the conversation. Yet no one's really asking like, why, why did it get to this point? Why did you do that? 
help me better understand it, help me help you, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, with trying to figure out your attachment style, that's one avenue. Um, you know, we've talked about figuring out trauma, like how uh, the body keeps the score is really good in terms of kind of illuminating how you show up with your trauma. Like all of this stuff is so beneficial because there's really, as I said, there's really no better time than now than to recognize where you're coming from and then understand where other people are coming from, or at least just realize that people are coming from different places and, okay, how do we get through this together? Um, yeah, so it's, it's really interesting that you, I mean, we're bringing this up and kind of the, the theme here for me is like compassion. That's what I'm seeing this the, uh, the most of, or the lack thereof is compassion. Um, but, you know, interestingly enough, with that whole concept of compassion, very seldom do people have compassion for themselves, too. Like, we, we treat ourselves the worst. You know, I'm avoided and anxious with myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm also secure sometimes. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, the work comes really from within. And then it once it comes from within, then you're able to like, exhibit, like, outwardly. But you know, something like this, I think would be highly beneficial. And maybe like, maybe people understand it a little bit better when they're in a relationship or if there's more value to it. But I can see the value being, you know, far exceeding just being in a relationship. It's like, you look, you're going to be in a relationship with yourself for the rest of your fucking life. Yeah. Figure out how you're showing up. Um, but you know what, I'm kind of curious, because you said that, you know, it can show up in friendships, it shows up in everything, any sort of relationship, whether it's intimate, whether it's professional, uh, you know, friendship. I want to know, of course, because I'm just naturally curious, and I'm so self-absorbed, obviously, but what kind of attachment style do we have? So um, I- Take a longer pause. Take a longer pause, why don't you? Answering how I see each of us in the relationship or how we interact is that yeah because you mentioned there are some people that are like anxious and so you're avoidant and so on and so forth but I would just be curious to know like what it's what's it like for us I would say for me that I feel we have a very secure attachment and the reason that I say that is because we've always let each other show up fully and we've always let each other show up in ways that maybe they don't mesh from time to time. Like we've had our moments and like, girl, we have been through it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it, but it was never like, neither one of us ever chases the other. And I don't think either one of us has ever ran away. We might have said like, I need to breathe. I need some space in this moment and I need to be with me, but it never felt like, true avoidance and true being like get out of my energy it felt very much like okay this person this side of it's going through a thing so i'm gonna chill over here and then vice versa when this person's going through a thing that person has chilled so it's felt very secure it's felt very on my end Mm -hmm. i'm curious to know what you think no i think it's felt uh, for the most part, it's, a, it's always felt secure. I think the only time where it hasn't felt secure is that um, either one of us, I don't even know if it's really avoidant, but, you know, for context, when you came to visit, you know, last year, and we had a, like a, a meshing of personalities and different lifestyles and so on and so forth, I think 
maybe you can make the argument that it was avoidant afterwards. Like, we're just like, you know what, not going to deal with this. Or you could also make the argument conversely that it was like secure. And it's like, I know where I stand. She knows where she stands. We'll come together eventually. So that might be the only, the only feedback that I have, at least from what I've perceived, but it's been, I'd say for the most part, for like this entirety of our friendship, our soulmateship, it's been very secure because again, it's just like a fucking soulmate ship, you know? Like, when you find soulmates, it's secure. I don't know what it is. It's just because that's your fucking person, right? Those are your people, that's your tribe. It's, it's, it shouldn't, it begs the question when someone falls out of your tribe, like, were you really even a tribe member? Like, was I just a kind of haphazardly just kind of offering this, this olive brand bringing you in when really like you were already kind of exhibiting these traits, which I was already kind of questioning. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Because I think that's the other part that gets confusing. And I think that's a really good point to bring up because when I think of my current partner and I, he is like, when I look at him, I'm like, oh, you're everything. Like, yeah, you're the guy that I want beside me. You're how I want to walk down this whatever path we're doing. Mm-hmm. In that, in that soulmate-ness of it, I motherfucking hate him some days. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. He shows me all my shit. Obviously. Mm. Oh, yeah, you're just annoyed with him because it's like, yeah. you know what? Just, just. Don't. Don't point out all the spinach in my teeth. I know I have work to do and I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. Right. That's that to me that's a soul connection is being able to activate each other but then hold each other in the healing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. triggers and mirrors and reflects and activates all my stuff but then he's also in that space of like "Ooh, this is uncomfortable how are we going to get through it mm-hmm. and then I'll throw a little tantrum and then i'll work through it mm-hmm. okay. and i think that's the part where that was my questioning. I was of the mind that those really deep, meaningful soul mate relationship, whatever you want to call it, shouldn't be as hard as it was feeling. Mm -hmm. You'll feel like you're both swimming the same direction where I felt sometimes like I was swimming upstream and he was just swimming downstream so easily. And I was like, what the hell? Mm -hmm. Relationship should not be this hard. Mm-hmm. If we love and care about each other as much as we say we do. Yeah. It's like forever relationship that we're saying we are, it shouldn't feel this hard. But mm-hmm. that, that mentality was my avoidance. That was my way of being able to say, well, I'm going to keep my independence. This is too difficult. Don't want to be involved in it. So when I could realize and recognize that, I can say, yeah, okay, you are going to bring up a lot of my dark side, a lot of my shadows, a lot of my blech, and we're going to work through it together and I can be vulnerable enough to show you that and to be alongside you. Yeah. It's interesting that you even bring up vulnerability because it's something that recently came up for me in you know, my most recent relationship. And I didn't realize that I still had this kind of attachment, so to speak, um, of 
vulnerability and what, how I hold it and how I even value vulnerability. But to me, it can be one of two things, either super powerful or you feel powerless. And I always erred on the side of the ladder of like powerlessness. And so it's been difficult at times to, to really allow yourself to be essentially in my mind, like powerless, you know, but it's so, it's so critical to allow yourself to be that, to be vulnerable and to like hold space for it because then you're just going to be fucking avoided or anxious. Yeah. 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 Cause it, it does, it shows up in so many ways. Okay. So I'm curious then what does it look like for you in moments where you're like, fuck, I'm about to be really vulnerable and it would be so much easier to avoid this. How do you like, do you like give yourself a pep talk? Like, how does it work? How do you? Oh, I like straight up. I straight up fucking avoid it until (laughs) (laughs) fucking human being acts like a mirror and just shows me my shit. And then you realize like, fuck, like this isn't going to go away and not it's not that I want it to go away, you know, like, it's a weird struggle that you have with yourself. It's like, I, I know I got to acknowledge it. I want to work through it, but I don't because it's actually really comfortable to be this like, kind of small shitty iteration of yourself. Like you kind of hanging on to it because it's like, it's comfort. Um, but it doesn't, it's literally holding back your growth. You've done all this work just to have it all kind of thrown away because you don't want to step up to the plate and just say one small thing. So like, yeah, no, it's totally more natural for me to be avoidant, but it doesn't really get you anywhere. You know, like with this person that's come into my life, it's, it's really kind of a wild experience in the sense that like she embodies like all of these things that I ever envisioned for a partner. And it's like right there in front of me, but yet here I am being like avoidant and I'm like, no, I don't want to talk about this. So it's like, it's a, it's a, there's an aspect of like self-sabotage too. And it's that in itself is such a bizarre concept like why we allow ourselves to go down these paths that we we don't want to go down because we've been down them before we know how dark and shitty it is but it's just like well here we go again (laughs) maybe if i pack a snack this time and it's like like, what the fuck you know what this is gonna look like you're gonna run out of snacks (laughs) then what (laughs) you're not gonna have enough water you're gonna run out of snacks but we allow ourselves to to do that and I would love, actually love to understand, you know, not to deviate too much from your original question, but I would really, really love to understand. And if anybody is listening to this and if anybody's out there that has like the, the actual background and like expertise to understand, like unravel this question, but I would really love to understand the mechanism of which our bodies, our minds go through that make making shitty decisions so addicting. Like, why do I like to just be this shitty version of myself. Like, why do I allow myself to be that way? Because it's not serving me. It's not serving me as a person. It's not serving me as this person that I wanna show up in a relationship. I don't want to be avoidant, but yet it's just like, I just naturally fucking waver that way. And I don't, I don't understand why it ends up happening, but maybe it's just as simple as like, I'm literally just not taking action for it to not be that way, you know? Yeah. I've heard a few schools of thought on that one. I don't know. Well, I don't know that they've actually like narrowed it down to the exact 
reason. Like, I don't think they've actually found, and I could be wrong on this, there could be something out there now, but I haven't found that exact pathway in the nervous system or the body brain connection that happens to make us make these decisions. Like there's schools of thought where it says that dopamine has a big play in it and you avoid the things that don't make you feel good and keep going towards the things that make you feel good. Yes. Also safe. You go towards the things that make you feel safe because the brain is wired to avoid anything uncomfortable because discomfort means a threat to our survival. We think the primordial way of thinking. So that moves us towards not only pleasure, but comfort. So if we're like, okay, well, I've always felt comfortable when I haven't had awkward conversations. So I'll keep avoiding awkward conversations. So it keeps us playing small because we don't want to feel those things. Mm -hmm. We're also not taught how to feel those things. We're not taught how to talk about really uncomfortable, intimate, vulnerable, scary, terrifying, heartbreaking things and still hold space for all the feelings physically in our body. So a lot of people avoid that completely. They're like, no, I don't want the racing heart and the knots in my stomach and the sweaty palms. I want to avoid that at all costs. So I'll just keep playing this role because I know I'm fine here. Mm -hmm. We're in that little groove. And then like when we think of like, there's the way that Joe Dispenza talks about it. Because you've read Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So he talks about it in a way of like, the actual physiological makeup of our body mm-hmm. is set in a certain way. And anytime we try to move it, our body keeps trying to bring us back to baseline because we've created this set point in our body almost. So anytime we try and deviate from that, the body signals more of the chemicals that will make us feel that set point. And it takes typically more than 21 days to actually mm-hmm. move and change our physiological makeup. So there's so many different reasons and ways, but what I have noticed in my own personal experience is that we just don't like feeling uncomfortable. We don't like it. So growth, action, movement, change is unknown, uncomfortable. Yeah. And particularly it's actually, I don't know why this is, but you know, a lot of people are okay with feeling uncomfortable but where it really rings true is when it's matters of the heart because the heart is so fucking fragile you know i can feel uncomfortable i can stand in front of you know a crowd full of people and yeah i'll have sweaty palms my heart's racing but i'll give a speech you know and for a lot of people that is uncomfortable but you know you know if we if i have myself and you know someone sitting next to me that said that would say that that was uncomfortable where we can both have the same commonality is like when it comes to matters of the heart, because that's kind of like such a collective universal thing where it's like, no, you've got, you have to protect this one little fucking organ (laughs) so badly. So I, that's, that's where I really struggle, you know? And I think that's where a lot of people really struggle is it's why does it have to be that way when it comes to love? Yeah. I think back to Brene Brown a lot Mm. on topics when she isn't she like (laughs) love her 
because when she talks about shame and she talks about vulnerability and she talks about the courage to actually step into those spaces, I think that word shame is so, so imperative to what this is because if you think about what it means to be ashamed of something, to be ashamed is that similar feeling of not belonging. So if I've done something or I'm about to do something that I perceive will make me not belong to my tribe or my crew or whatever it is, we want to avoid that at all costs. Because if we think back to, I'm, I'm such a science person, so sorry if I keep coming back to that side of things, but if we think back- I would love for it to mainly be that side of things. Right. You know I'm going to cite everything, so. <laughs> yes. Oh, full reference list, APA style. <laughs> APA style for sure. Seventh edition, obviously. <laughs> when we come back to how, like, so look at our basically cousins in the jungle, like the chimps, the orangutans, the, the monkeys. When we look at the monkeys, we see how the one monkey that's the weakest link that is kind of considered the social outcast is the lowest rank in the hierarchy. They're the first to die. They typically get left to the side. They're not taken care of. They're the ones that get beaten up by the other members. They, their food is stolen, all of that. So we have that very, very innate knowing that if we do something wrong, we'll be the outcast, we'll be the lowest monkey on the hierarchy, we'll be the ones left behind. Mm. So intellectually, we might not be thinking that way, but on a physiological and a nervous system level, subconsciously, we still have that wiring because that's how we got to where we are today, that evolutionary change in our nervous system to get us here. Controversial. So, I know. Steering the pot. Well, these bitches need to have compassion. So. Exactly. So come <laughs> in a compassionate way. Thank you. <laughs> that's the thing is we don't want to be that monkey so when I think about having a really uncomfortable conversation and telling somebody how I'm feeling and that maybe they've done something wrong whatever 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 I'm telling myself a story of the worst possible way it could go to prepare myself because the brain wants to make sense of the outcomes and it wants to guide us away from the most threatening outcome towards the most safe and secure outcome because survival instinct. But I think in a lot of ways, matters of the heart is just another way of looking at our deep, deep, deep-seated need to belong. We need to feel loved and cared for. And if we tell a partner that they're doing something that we don't like, we run the risk of them leaving. We run the risk of them quote unquote, not loving us anymore. And that's terrifying, especially if we are invested in that relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of the time it does come down to that need to belong, to be supported, cared for, loved, seen, all of it, and included. No, I, I completely understand that. And for like, for a lot of people listening, I, I'm hoping that they would understand that as well. But as we're talking about this, and a lot of the topics that we've talked about, there could be people that are listening that are like very much at the beginning stages of their like evolution. So it's like, 
I'm never certain on how to, how, like, what is the takeaway? If, if you're that person, what do you do? Is it just like being aware of it and deciding to make action? Is that the most simplistic way of like, this is the takeaway or, or what? You know, it's so easy for us to say because we've gone through the steps of getting us to where we are now. And even if when I kind of look back, I don't even know if they're really, I, th I can attribute a certain time frame or a certain timeline of when this shift started happening. I just always kind of felt like I was always kind of evolving and then, yeah, I became more aware of it, but is, is that maybe how it goes? Or is there literally a point where you're like, nope, today's the day that I'm going to change. And I think for people that depending on where they're at, you know, if someone is, let's say like an addict, it is, you can very much have a concrete day, like this is the day I'm gonna stop smoking. This is the day I'm gonna start drinking or I'm gonna stop doing drugs. But for everybody that's kind of like, maybe an emotional addict, how do you, how do they say, okay, today's gonna be the day? Is it just that simple as saying, today's gonna be the day or what? Like what, what do you tell people that come to you? Exactly that. Like, <laughs> you stand in conviction and say no no more I'm not doing this anymore like this is the thing that needs to change or even if you don't know what it is that you want to change or that needs to change it's saying that I know there's something better for me I know there's a different way of being and I'm going to discover it because nobody has the answers nobody has it's not a one-size-fits-all along the way you're gonna find different schools of thought like you'll go through a Brene Brown phase and then you'll go through a Michelle Obama phase and then a Joe Dispenza phase. And they're not all saying the same things. They're saying, maybe they're saying some of the same things in different ways, but they also say completely different things. And that's the beauty of the journey is trusting that intuition and trusting, okay, today I'm going to go to this kundalini yoga class that I would never have gone to before because it feels right in my body because mm -hmm. some little voice in my head is saying go do that thing and I'm going to mm -hmm. be open to it and I'm going to be in that space of allowing but I think it does come down to that singular moment of there's something better there's something more there's something different and it's making that claim and saying okay now what am I going to do about it how am I going to navigate this going forward and within yeah. that, the overarching theme to like basically life is compassion, compassion for others, but so much more compassion for ourselves, so much more compassion because it's, it's not easy. This whole journey of self-discovery, development, growth, whatever you want to call it, but so worth it. And it's going to be messy along the way. And in those messy moments, that's where compassion is so key because it's saying, okay, how human of me to do that thing that I just did. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. I really messed that up and I'm going to learn from it. I'm choosing to take action and I'm choosing to have a conversation with somebody who knows something different or discover a new podcast or read a different book and continuously be in that space of showing up because mm -hmm. quite often I think there's a misconception that doing the work is just sitting in self-reflection and being like, oh, I noticed that I'm this way. Okay. And now what? Yeah. You now what? Uh -huh. And actually doing that tangible, physical 
embodied work and saying, I am going to show up in these conversations. I am going to do this thing, or I am going to whatever, 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 but starting with self and making that convicted commitment. Mm. I think honestly, yeah, it's just the awareness and then deciding to take action. But for what it's worth, I mean, I'm no fucking medical practitioner. I have no license in any of this. I'm just talking from my own human experience. I think kind of one of the best times to do it or where it can be most fruitful. And again, take this for what it is, but either being in a relationship or when a relationship has just ended. Because for me, like, those are real key mirrors of like who you are and how you show up is either after the relationships ended and you're doing a retrospective and you're trying to figure out, okay, what worked well, what worked less well, and how do I move through this? Or actually physically being in the relationship and being like, what is working well, what is working less well, and how can I get it to be better? And I think during those times, those pivotal moments in our lives, that's where we can will want to take the most action because it's either happening or it's about to happen again. And again, it comes back to matters of the heart. No one wants to die alone. You know, we all want to have a partner. We all want to find our soulmates, no less. It's one thing to have a partner. There's so many people. I know so many fucking friends that have partners, but I don't, I truly don't believe that they found soulmates, but we all want to find soulmates. So to, I, I feel as though the way to get that is to get closer with yourself because once you get closer with yourself, you'll get closer with the person that is going to meet that self. Yeah. That's the only, that's the only feedback that I would give because I found for myself, the most amount of growth has happened after a relationship. After I've looked back and was like, well, why didn't that fucking work out? And I can list, I can, a laundry list, a scroll of shit of that. I didn't like about myself stuff that I, patterns that exhibited behavior traits and it was just like ill all of that was so fucking ill and so ill to the point where it's like absolutely not I'm not letting that happen again so I feel like that those are really kind of really key pivotal times where you can really kind of be the most self-reflective it's not when you're on your high highs it's so hard to look at look at the shitty parts of you when you're like I'm doing good I've got my friends I've got money in the account like all of that's great but it's those moments where it's just like, okay, why isn't this working out? Why am I not solving this side of Rubik's cube? Yeah. Those are the times where it's like, okay, I need to step away from this fucking Rubik's cube and figure out what's going on here instead of just going through the patterns of trying to shape shift. Yeah. Yeah. Now with the self agency Academy, are there like, maybe this is on the docket, but are there things that, what is it that you do? Like if I were to come to you and say, look, I'm showing up in really shitty ways in these fucking relationships and I have no idea what's going on because I'm fucking perfect. What would you, what would you tell me? I'd be like, yeah, we need to talk. <laughs> yeah. Or are there like, are there pieces like uh, exercises that you go through with them or like, what is it? Yeah. Everything is individualized. So each program that we put together will be unique to the person and it's like, There'll be intake forms and a consult conversation where we kind of dive into what does this look like? What's going on for you? Where do you want to go? And we get really clear on, are you willing to do the work? Like, are you actually willing to show up in this? 
So mm-hmm. we had a real conversation in the beginning because because I've done coaching and nutrition for so long, I've worked with a lot of people who want a quick and easy fix. They want kind of that pill, like just give me the kale smoothie recipe. That's going to make everything fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boo. Like there's so much more you to it. You can't even eat kale. So we get really real on it and talk about what it looks like and how it is that you're willing, wanting and willing to show up. And then from there, we do weekly calls, depending on the, like, the program that we put together. could be weekly calls. It could be bi-weekly calls. But we get into very in-depth conversations on those calls. And then there's homework up into those. So there's different exercises, different resources to look through and work with. So that what we're trying to do is to build a lifestyle. I'm not trying to do like a six week overhaul where we take everything out and break you down and break your ego so that you have to start from scratch. It's trying to get accustomed to what it looks like to actually make this a sustainable change. What are things that you're willing to work on and work with so that going forward, you don't need people like me. Basically, like my intention is to put me out of work. to be this embodied whole human living their whole experience and all of us allowing that and showing up in that space. So we do it through yoga. We do it through nutrition. We do it through trauma informed practices where we get into different things that have led us up until this point. And then it's very solution based forward thinking that we do. Mm -hmm. A lot of work in the past and focus there, whereas we do that, but the majority of our focus is right now and building into the future. Mm. Well, would you say, you know, for someone that's listening to this, is there a kind of a better order of things? Is it working at like acknowledging trauma, working through trauma, and then, you know, figuring out attachment theory, or is it attachment theory and then trauma, or is it just come as you are and whatever resonates with you resonates with you. And this is the start of the work. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I know a lot of people say like, this is where you have to start. You have to do inner child work or you have to do shadow work or you have to do this and that. And I, I disagree. I don't think there's a one size fits all or a certain starting point for anyone. I think everyone meets everything, every experience, every person as in when they're meant to. So my job coming in to do say a coaching or a mentorship or whatever that looks like is to come in and see who you are right now. And then that's where I dictate where we're going to start. Because if somebody comes to me and says, oh, I've done all of this work, but there's just one thing that I'm missing. Well, I'm not going to take them back to this attachment theory or shadow work if they've already been there done that i have to see where they're at meet them in that place and then bring in the tools that i have that could complement what they've done if they're coming they're like i've never done anything i feel like a toddler trying to figure my life out we're going to look at where it is that they're headed because i'm not going to speak japanese to a french person i have to meet every single person where they're at 
Mm-hmm. So if they need to do it all movement-based and physical body-based, we'll have a very different approach to somebody who's very cerebral, very mm-hmm. mind education science-based. Like it's going to be two different approaches. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's any one place that we can start except maybe that space of acknowledgement and saying there's something different and now I'm going to seek and I'm going to find what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly do truly do believe that it really just fucking comes down to that. You've realized that there's something ugly that you don't like. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be ugly. It's just something that it's like distasteful and look, I don't want to do this anymore and I got to change it. Yeah. Just do the work to change it. Yeah. And yeah, it's people just get so imprisoned by their own minds and they become crippled, crippled by it. Because that, because that level of awareness and acknowledgement of that there needs to be change is like eating an elephant. They forget how to eat an elephant bit by bit, but they just realize like, shit, I have this little elephant, I gotta eat it. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because it keeps people from achieving their highest potential, achieving their highest self. Mm-hmm. And in that achieving their highest potential. Yeah. That's what makes me sad for a lot of people. And the, I'm not, I hope people don't uh, listen to this as like a self-righteous thing, because I truly do believe I would be, I'm hopeful that we can all achieve that. You know, we can all just be on this path of absolutely development and growth. But I, I've seen it in, you know, my peers of how crippling all of that work can be for them. To, it's a deterrent to the point where, like, it's, it's like a lot of people, like, to want to take certain fields of study. And they're like, no, it's too long, too long in school, I won't do it. They could be the best doctor or lawyer or psychologist or mechanic or whatever the fuck that is that they want to do. But they're like, I don't want to be in school that long. Yeah. And they don't realize, like, yeah, that's the work that you got to do, but it's going to be so worth it on the other side. Yeah. And I think that's another big disservice that we do ourselves is how future focused things are in the sense that we live in the future. Like all we think about is, oh, six years of schooling. All I can think about is how long and hard that's going to be. But if you get that out of the way and say, well, today I have to do one class okay, I can do one class today. That's Mm -hmm. fine. We don't have to look at it as like the six-year degree or this 10-year master's, PhD, all of that thing. We could break it down and say, today I have to write one essay. So I'm going to sit here and write this essay. It's the same thing when you go for a hike and you look up at the top of the mountain, you're like, there's no way I'm ever going to make that summit. Like that looks impossible. It looks hard but then you just put one foot in front of the other. You don't have to keep looking at the summit the whole time, psyching yourself out, thinking, I can't do this, this is too hard, too overwhelming, I'm not fit enough, yada, 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 this whole inner talk. If you look down at your feet and you say, okay, this foot has to step there and that foot has to step there, you're that much closer. And that's, that's the part of this whole, it's not the destination, it's the journey. We have, yeah. to, have to right here, right now, enjoying this moment because if I sat if you and I sat here and all we thought about was what we have to do next week we're not going to be present in this conversation we're not going to be able to say things 
that matter to us right here and now because we're going to be disengaged from it, distracted from it, and thinking about that space in the future rather than what can I gain and learn right here in this moment. Mm. Presence is a huge part of it. And I think I'm so obsessed with like yin yoga meditation and mindfulness because it is the thing that forces me to come right here, right now, rather than 20 years down the track where I could be. Mm -hmm. Or conversely, it's not just in the, in the future, you know, it's like the past. You don't even think about the future. It's just like, well, what was I, who was I 20 years ago? And now I'm going to exhibit those same traits or 10 years ago or whatever, whatever time frame you want to put on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the benefit, the true benefits of, um, meditation it just puts you in the now because our brain you know uh default mode network is always just like always in the future always in the past never right now and that overactivity is just like that's what's really crippling we're so overstimulated oh my god next level but you know what the next podcast i want to do is talk about overstimulation and how phones play into that because it just i can't I just can't. I can't. It just, it just fucks with me. And I can't like, and I'm just getting in like a little, just a little, you know, just a little, just the tip. I'm only getting, but some people are full fucking fledged, full blown all day, every day, just tweeting at people, tweeting that themselves, writing tweets, all the shit. And it's just like, holy shit. That's like your full-time job. Yeah. Yeah. And how, how, well, that overstimulation. You know what was really fascinating? I was listening to a, a Rogan podcast recently, and he had Dr. Huberman, who's a neuroscientist, talking about um, just, you know, the human brain. One thing that blew my mind is I didn't realize that, like, Joe Rogan didn't notice this either, um, but our eyes are our brains, essentially, and it, by development, it just got, like, pushed out of our skulls, so it's, like, technically our brains, which blew my mind. Um, but he was talking about how, you know, what, based on that, like what we see really impacts, you know, the neurological hardwiring that's happening and looking at phones being like a big part of that and what we're consuming, what we're allowing our brains, not just like that's in our skulls, but our eyes to absorb and take in and how it's just kind of like rewiring what it means to have this dopamine serotonin cocktail released and it's beyond it's just it fucking blows my mind it really does because there are people that are just absorbing that day in day out 24 7 and granted you know my partner she has to do it for work but i could see her put it down but i see people around that like constant constant and it's like they're not getting paid to do this so like, why? Why are you spending so much time absorbing and being overstimulated? Yeah. Is it the states that have started doing um, basically like rehab centers for technology? Christ. Is it through an app? Because that's ironic. Right. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Has it gotten to that point? I'm pr- almost, I'm almost positive. I think I had read something on it a couple weeks ago and I didn't dig too much into it, but I'm, it was like a technology addiction center. You know what? I can totally believe it. And I, I did. Yes. 
it is here to stay and people 100% are addicted and overstimulated and it makes sense that it would be here. It's sad, but it also would make sense. Yeah, because it, and it's like, the thing that really blows my mind is the keeping the news on in the background. So like doing the dishes, but then having like the news or something on in the background and thinking like, oh, it's just like background noise. No, your brain picks up on that and it's now into your consciousness. So you just spent all of this time doing something, especially because doing the dishes is actually meant to bring you down into the lower frequency brainwave. So you can actually rest and Mm -hmm. mindfully do that thing. So when you drop down, you're even more susceptible to mm-hmm. that subliminal messaging and the things that are running in the background, you pick up on them. So if you're constantly surrounded by auditory, visual, hearing and seeing these fear-mongering, fake news, bullshit, everything, everywhere, we got to stop. Mm-hmm. We got to mm-hmm. stop. I just mm-hmm. can't. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely not allowing for people to be securely a- attached. I'll tell you that. God, no. No. Just to back around to the original topic at hand. But it's, it's really kind of wedging, a, uh, you know, wedging in between people, like, again, getting closer to themselves. Yeah. Realizing think- what kind of attachment they have. Yeah, because if I think about all of the movies, so let's just think about movies for one or TV shows, whatever, whatever. And they show different relationships. So you see on a movie screen, a relationship playing out between two people that have fallen in love, whatever. You base your attachment on that. You also can base your attachment on the pictures that you see on Instagram and the captions that you read, thinking that everyone else has this perfect relationship and they've got it right and idealizing and romanticizing the relationships that you see on screen can be so detrimental because you're projecting what you should have as what you see on screen. But these people on screen aren't playing out a whole lifetime in front of you. They're not playing out the good, the bad, and all of the stuff that goes with it. And when we idealize that and romanticize it, it's no wonder that you then watch like a chick flick and get off and be like, oh, but my partner never talks to me that way. No fucking, he's not Patrick Dempsey. Get out of here. (laughs) Stop it. He also has a dad bod. So like, you know, (laughs) get out of here. (laughs) No, I think that's definitely, that is a place in part to it too. Kind of just living these weird fabricated lives. And I don't know why we would want to, because again, it just takes us close, like further away rather from, ourselves because it's not real that's not we're not fabricated there's there's holes in this fabric but they're like beautiful holes they all tell the story and it's just like let's just live that out instead of you know find chiffon exactly finally press chiffon yeah just let it be let it be anyways is there anything else that you want to talk about uh attachment theory because i'm really i think this is really a kind of illuminated things for myself i'm going to link um some resources below the description for people because I'd like to take the questionnaire and I'm going to, if my partner wants to, I'll ask her if she wants to take the questionnaire. I'm not going to force her. Maybe she's going to be avoidant or she's going to be anxious. I don't know. But I'll ask her if she wants to do it um, because I'm curious 
And I'm just, I have, let me just say this, for anybody that's avoiding doing the work, it's actually, it's so fucking worth it, but you do become addicted in a sense of your own growth. And that is, I feel as though that is one of the healthier addictions that you can have. So get ready for like kind of a lifetime of just like wanting to get better, but I don't see the harm in that. You know, that's, that's the disclaimer here. You know, it's like warning, you are going to want to be the best version of yourself all the fucking time. Because once you see the shitty versions, you're like, absolutely not. I'm not going down that path. Yeah, exactly. I'm going like, to put that disclaimer at the beginning of this fucking podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Warning, you're going to want to check your weave on this one. Yeah. And we're here to check it for you. So. <laughs> your weave sliding off. Um, but yeah, no, sorry. Um, is there anything else that you want to want to talk about in terms of attachment theories and what someone should take away from this besides everything that we've given them? Yeah, I really like that we brought it back to media as well, because I do think that's a really big thing to stay aware of when you see, and like, I'm, as I say this, I'm, speaking to myself as a reminder. So I'm not generalizing and speaking to others. I'm speaking to myself. But when you see people on a movie screen or on Instagram, social media, whatever, and you find yourself looking to that as an idealistic relationship or the idealistic partner, take a moment and remind yourself that there's more to the story. There's more going on behind the scenes. Come back to that space of what do I want in a partner? What do I need out of a relationship? What do I need from myself? What do I need from those around me? Not what am I seeing portrayed as a societal norm and as a cultural thing that we talk about and say is right or good or whatever, but come back to yourself and figure out what it is that you want from a partnership. Mm -hmm. What's important to you? Because that was one thing that a friend said to me. She was like, because she's highly anxious. Her attachment style is highly anxious and she recognizes that now. So before she would always talk about it in a way of saying like, I never want to tell somebody because that might be a deal breaker. Whereas now post reading this book and kind of doing some of the work that comes along with it, she's like, no, I just need to let a potential partner know that I am needy. I do, I do want to talk. I do want to get text messages saying, how is your day? Those things mm -hmm. are important to me. Mm -hmm. so she can now own it and not belittle herself and make herself sound like this clingy, needy person. But she can say, no, this is the thing that I know makes me feel secure. I need to know that I'm thought about. That makes me feel secure. And what she found was when a partner then started messaging her, it wasn't that she needed the text message. It wasn't that she needed that thing to change. It was her acknowledging that part of herself and letting somebody do that for her and letting somebody show up in that way. And then I don't know if the text messages continued, but they have a very secure attachment now. Mm -hmm. She was honest about it. Not yeah. making herself sound crazy or this and that, but saying, no, this is what I need. You know, and I'd probably, I'd reckon the byproduct of acknowledging it and just saying the words like, this is what I need, it kind of automatically puts you on this different frequency where you're going to meet the people that are going to just do those things for you, you know? Yeah. Yes, yes. 
you meet yourself and then you meet the people that see you. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Love it. Love it. I love it and I love you. This was really good. I enjoyed this one. I enjoy them all, but this one was like, it got the wheels turning for me. Um, and I love that the most because I'm just naturally curious and I want to learn about all these different subjects and concepts and topics. And I think this is, it's really kind of the best time to, to be doing this kind of reflection as we've talked about before. And that's going to be kind of its own series of conversations that we have, hashtag COVID confessions. But this is a great time to be like looking at this stuff and being like, okay, what worked well, what worked less well and how do I change it? And it's really kind of not wor worked well. It's kind of digging deeper into what is working less well. Yeah. And what, I can, what can I step up on? What can I do better at? What can mm -hmm. I change or evolve? Yeah. Hashtag addicted to growth. <laughs> um, that's a good addiction, man. That's a good addiction. There's probably not going to be rehab standards popping up for that. Right. <laughs> we done it. That'd be fucked up. Um, okay. I'm going to link some stuff uh, below as always. What is the name of your website again? Self Agency Academy. Amazing. Um, and I love you. I love you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. so much for listening and if there's anything anything at all that you want to explore or you have ideas about and want to get into please please drop me a line you can find us at the self agency advocate on both facebook and instagram and i would absolutely love to chat so let's connect mm -hmm.